The order by Judge Boyce in the Chad Day Bell matter doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Murdoch jurors speak out. A suspect charged in the death of Dylan Rounds. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below. Hit that little bell for notifications. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Let's support the people that support Crime Talk. Go to crimetalksearch.com. Sign up for that backroom subscription service today. All right, when you have that subscription, which you can cancel at any time, you can search anyone here in the United States and you will get a report literally generated while you wait. It's gonna have information as to whether somebody has a criminal history. Are they in a sex offender registry? Do they have liens and judgments against them? Are they married? Are they divorced? Have they been telling you the truth? Go to crimetalksearch.com and check them out. All right, let's go ahead and open the record and we're gonna start the docket for March 6th, 2023. All right, so last week, February 23rd, the uh, court had a hearing in the Lori Vallow and Chad Day Bell matters. And it was in regards to Chad Day Bell's second renewed motion to sever the cases. As you may recall, the state indicted Lori Vallow and Chad Day Bell, and their position there, the state's position, has been that the trial needs to remain together. Well, there's lots of times issues for what they refer to as severance, which is to separate the trials, the joint trials. When they want to bring separate cases together, that's called joinder. So here, since they're already joined, now they are severed. So what does that really mean? Well, like I said, you had Lori Vallow's case, Chad DeBell cases under the same indictment, and they're going to go to trial. They were supposed to go to trial uh, on April 6th. Anyway, there was a hearing held on March 2nd in regards to Chad DeBell's motion to sever. That motion is granted by the court. Now, in doing so, in the court's order, it's kind of a little discombobulated. Let's just say it that way. All right. Court relied on the standard of review, which was set out in some uh, cases there in Idaho, which they need to look at. He also looked at Idaho criminal rule 14, which provides basically the general rule to um, make a decision as to whether there's joinder or severance and whether there would be any prejudice to the defendant. Once again, the government relies upon some case law and authority, but the real gist of what the court had to look at is under the rule. And it says by the defendant has to be shown that the joinder will result in unfair prejudice. And it says that the court, when they've already decided that uh, these trials should remain together, they, to separate them again, the court has to make a judicial termination of every criminal proceeding because the defendant's adequate procedural safeguards to prevent the prejudicial joinder of charges against them. What does that really mean? It means the court has a duty to make sure everybody gets a fair trial. So then it says, to justify severance of trials previously found properly joined, the court should consider three potential sources of prejudice in analyzing um, the state's position in regards to the prejudicial joinder. First, Will the jury 
get confused by the evidence and convict the defendant of one or more or both crimes when it would not convict him of either if it could keep the evidence properly separate. Next, the defendant may be confounded in presenting defenses as where he desires to assert his privilege against self-incrimination with respect to one crime but not the other, or that the jury may conclude that the defendant is guilty of one crime and then find him guilty of the other because of the criminal disposition. So what does that really mean? Okay, first, is there evidence that basically shouldn't come in as it relates to both defendant? Well, all of the evidence is pretty much going to be the same, which is what the prosecution has been arguing. So that doesn't make much sense. Next, the defendant may be confounded in presenting defenses where he desires to assert his privilege against self-incrimination with respect to one crime, but not the other. So that's usually severance of charges where that comes in, where you say, hey, judge, my client is charged with um, a bank robbery, and he's also charged with possession of a weapon. He can testify to the bank robbery because he was there simply to deposit a check, but he may have self-incriminating evidence as it relates to the gun possession charge, so therefore you should sever that. Well, that doesn't seem to make much sense here unless Chad Bell has been making an argument that says, judge, he can testify as it relates to one count that he's charged with. Remember, he's charged with the death of J.J. Tiley, uh, some financial crimes, and then obviously the death of his wife. So could he be saying, I could testify to counts one and two, but I can't testify to count three? Interesting doesn't necessarily seem to fit. Or then it says that basically the defendant could be found guilty uh, because basically if he's found guilty of one charge, the jury may think, well, if he's found him guilty of one charge, he may be guilty of the remaining charges as well. So then the court goes on. It says, based on the granting of severance to provide additional time for evidentiary testing, defendant Chad Guy Daybell's April 3rd, 2023 jury trial is vacated. Was it just me or did it completely miss all of the rules in Rule 14 that the court put in its order and said, yeah, they're, you know, separate the evidence, assert his uh, right to remain silent as it relates to one count but not another, uh, or basically he could be found guilty just because he's got a bad uh, guilt or, or, or his, his prior guilty disposition. He must be guilty of one. He must be guilty of everything. But no, the court goes through all that and then just says, uh, based on... Um, further DNA testing, he's severed out. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm not exactly sure what the judge was doing. Now, as you may recall, the prosecution conceded that they were literally getting test results back from DNA two weeks ago. The defense has an opportunity to test those results, to look at the data, have it retested. Maybe it warrants even further testing. But of course, we don't know because, well, remember Judge Boyce says we're all too stupid to understand. And it's, you know, everyone who hears anything about the case obviously will be so prejudiced that they could not be a fair and impartial juror. Doesn't make any sense. So he's been doing everything in chambers, basically, or in a closed courtroom. That's why the ruling doesn't make sense. He issues a generic order, but it doesn't explain actually what he did. As you remember, Mr. Pryor, Chad DeBell's attorney, said they needed more time, that he wasn't going to be effective, hadn't started anything. The court denied all of those, 
But then I said, remember, the court has to balance the interests of the defendant's right to a fair trial and effective representation against that of the speedy trial. Lori Vallow hasn't been willing to waive speedy trial, therefore she has to go. And does this bustrous Lori Vallow's argument as it relates to their, her case should be dismissed for a violation of the speedy trial rights? Possibly. Don't think Judge Boyce is gonna change his mind on that. I mean, he did change his mind on this. I'm a little surprised. But I think it grants credence to the motion uh, to dismiss based upon the violation of her speedy trial rights because all the court had to do was give her her day in court, even though the prosecution and the court said, no, no, we're gonna do these trials together. Well, apparently you can sever the cases and everyone still gets a fair trial. So it makes you wonder why he couldn't have done that months and months ago. Another order that came out was that uh, the court uh, denied the motion to dismiss the indictment as it relates to Chad Day Bell or to preclude the imposition of the death penalty due to continued discovery violations by the state. Now, that is not going to happen. Yes, the state routinely commits discovery violations. Discovery violations usually happen somewhat routinely in uh, criminal cases. The prosecution doesn't turn uh, information over in a timely manner. And then there's issues of delay and good faith and arguments and all that type of stuff. Um, and really the remedy is the government doesn't get to use the evidence or it's a motion for a continuance should be granted. Uh, very rarely, very rarely does a court ever grant a motion to dismiss, let alone preclude the death penalty for a discovery violation. It would have to be a very extreme sanction and the court does not like to impose extreme sanctions like that. Anyway, at least we know Lori Vallow is gonna go to a trial and we know what her defense is going to be. Alec did it and now maybe Chad Bell did it, but she didn't do it. I mean, it seems like a plausible defense. It almost seems like they could have done this, I don't know, months ago when she demanded a right to a speedy trial. And don't get me wrong, no fan of Lori Vallow or Chad Daybell, but the Constitution has to be respected, no matter how heinous of a crime that people have committed. Remember, if we let the judicial system and the prosecutors start running roughshod over guilty people, they'll start doing it to innocent people as well. Next on the docket, Alec Murdoch, the jurors speak. That's right, the jurors from the Alex Murdoch trial uh, would not have sentenced him to death if they had been given an option. They revealed this on the Today Show this morning, saying they would rather uh, he be forced to live with his crimes for the rest of his life. Hmm. So juror Amy Williams, Gwen Jegenerate, and James McDowell waived their right to anonymity to appear on the uh, NBC Today Show and to discuss the case. While prosecutors were able to convince the jury of Murdoch's guilt, they were not able to nail down a specific motive for the double killings. They apparently uh, never, the jurors did say, although the prosecution didn't seek the death penalty, they just didn't think that uh, they would have gone uh, for that uh, extreme of a punishment. Uh, one of the jurors said basically it would be very hard for me. Death is a hard thing. The family has suffered a lot. This way he gets to think about it and focus on what he did. Um, they thought the worst punishment is him gonna have to think about it for the rest of his life, which is a very strong argument that a lot of people make in regards to the death penalty. The jurors did concede that they may never know why 
Alec Murdoch chose to kill his uh, wife and son. They said, don't know if he'll ever know. It may have been a combination of things, not just the uh, financial stress that he was feeling. But everything apparently was weighing on him, according to the jurors, referring to Alec Murdoch's financial uh, crimes that he committed, his uh, exposure to those crimes, as well as his opioid drug addiction. Another juror believes that Murdoch wanted to have control of everything and was simply driven by greed. Uh, the juror stated that, hey, his wife owned the majority of the things that they had, and he thought it was greed-driven that he was going to be able to get it all. Uh, one juror said it was just simply the perfect storm that led him to kill his wife and son. As you know, the jurors were rather quick to reach their decision last week. After a six-week trial, they concluded in a little under three hours. And he said uh, the jurors stated that uh, they had been writing down questions throughout the trial whenever they retreated to the jury room for a break. It enabled them to romp through their doubts after closing arguments and persuade the three jurors that were undecided that Mr. Alec Murdoch was in fact guilty. None of the jurors knew what a sensation the trial would in fact become. So far, four of the 12 jurors have come forward to explain their decision. None of them believed his tears when he sobbed about the deaths of his wife and son while on the witness stand. They said, they didn't even think he was crying. He could turn it on and off just too quickly. The jurors didn't believe that he was genuine at all, which obviously goes against Mr. Alec Murdoch's thinking that he can sh schmooze just about everyone. They weren't buying it. Apparently they were suspicious that he had a background as a trial attorney. Boy, don't trust those guys. They can sell you anything. Anyway, they said that he already knew he was a lawyer. He had to be emotional with a case like this for himself. And they said they were able to read right through that. Um, the evidence that sealed the deal for them was the video recorded by Paul Murdoch moments before his murder in which his father's voice can be heard clearly in the background, which completely contradicted Alec Murdoch's statements that he was not down by those kennels at all that night. Anyway, now the public is demanding answers over the Murdoch family's alleged long-rumored involvement in the suspicious death of Buster's former high school classmate. That's right, Stephen Smith's death was ruled a hit and run, but his mother, Sandy, says uh, she's always maintained that her son, who was gay and a classmate of Murdoch's son, Buster, was murdered and there was a cover-up. She states there's a long-rumored involvement of a Murdoch, whether it's Buster or somebody else in the family. Uh, that he has knowledge of at least as it relates to the death of Stephen Smith. Investigators reopened Stephen's case as well as an investigation into the death of the family housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield, following the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch. Investigators at the time said they had reopened the cases after discovering information in their investigation into Maggie and Paul's homicides, and detectives have not revealed exactly what that information was, but clearly something was discovered. Now, obviously, nothing's been prosecuted. There's no statute of limitations on a homicide case. And maybe the state's just taking their time to dot their I's and cross their T's. We'll see. Obviously, the family for Stephen Smith uh, wants justice, and they should deserve it if it was not some accident and it was, in fact, murder. Next on the docket, James Brenner is charged with one count of aggravated murder and one count of abuse of a corpse of a human body. That's right. He's been charged by the Box Elder County Attorney Office in 
Brigham City, Utah. Uh, Brenner has been charged and been held in the Box Elder County Jail since he was arrested for some firearms violations back in June, and now he's charged with the death of Dylan Rounds. As you may recall, Mr. Brenner was squatting on property near Dylan Rounds' farm when uh, Mr. Rounds disappeared. Dylan was farming in the desert town of Lucen, Utah, when he vanished over Memorial Day weekend last year. His grandmother spoke with him on May 28th, and nobody has heard from him since. There's been no sign of Dylan anywhere and no activity on his cell phone or bank records since that day. Dylan's body has not been found yet, but the police remain optimistic that they will have something soon. And then finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. A Georgia woman was arrested after police said that she crashed her SUV into a Popeye's. Why, you may ask, Scott? Why would a woman drive her SUV into a Popeye's? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? She didn't get her biscuits in her order. What is a rational person to do? So apparently the deputies of the Richmond County Sheriff's Office arrived on scene to the fast food chicken restaurant on February 18th for a call about an accident of some type. The manager told the deputy that a customer, later identified as Belinda Miller, drove her Toyota RAV4 into the entrance of the building. This was after she became upset that her order didn't have any biscuits. Witnesses told investigators that she was waiting in line inside the Popeyes when Miller allegedly told her, you better hurry up and get her order because she is coming back in there. The managers also told the deputies that before the incident, Ms. Miller had threatened her staff, then drove away. A few minutes later, Miller called the Popeyes and said she was already on papers and would drive her vehicle into the building. The manager stated that before any of this happened, she had corrected the mistake and gave Ms. Miller her biscuits, but states that Miller was still not happy, according to the police reports. The police say that they then found Miller's SUV at her home and the uh, front end was damaged after she drove away from smashing it into the uh, restaurant. Well, Miss Miller's been arrested for aggravated assault and criminal damage to property. Okay, Miss Miller, you take the cake, or should I say the biscuit, for one of the dumbest criminals I've ever reported upon, okay? First, food violence, really? Who does this over food violence, let alone biscuits from Popeyes? Don't get me wrong, they're good. You want your order, you paid for it, I get it. But when the manager says he gave them to you and you didn't recognize it, and so when you say you're on paper, that means you're either on probation or parole and you're gonna take action. And so you destroy your own car to show them that you didn't get your biscuits. You really showed them, didn't you, Miss Miller? Yeah. And then on top of that, you get arrested for aggravated assault. Yeah, you're going to be on paper a little longer after you go to the Department of Corrections. Ms. Miller, you are dumb. Sometimes people just make dumb mistakes, but you're just dumb. For biscuits, wrecking your own car and getting yourself arrested. I know some people get offended by the word dumb, but you're dumb. That's all we have for you today. Couldn't get through anything else after being shocked by the dumbness of Ms. Miller. Anyway, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.